On September 8th of 2015, the first episode of Set Lusting Bruce was released. To celebrate our anniversary month, I plan to put out a new episode every day this month. During this month, I would like to share feedback from my listeners. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments for me or any of my guests, please send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 469-249-2442. If you're not part of our Patreon group, please think about supporting the podcast by making a small monthly donation. Everyone who joins gets a personal thank you card from me and a Set Lusting Bruce sticker. Depending on your level, you can get early access to episodes and unedited videos of my discussions with guests. If you haven't rated the podcast before, please go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating, hopefully five star, and let people know why you love the podcast. Hope you enjoy this month of episodes. And now on to the show. They were my first like official teenage concert was the Counting Crows and Wallflowers and in the mid 1990s. And yeah, so and I also still loved musicals. I remember my mom for my 15th birthday took me to see Les Miserables and I played that CD on repeat over. I knew every single word to Les Mis. And then when Rent came out a few years later, I think I still know every single word to the entire soundtrack for Rent. And yeah, folk music was still there. Musicals were still there, still are there for both of them. And it expanded and it expanded into some things that only I was listening to in my family. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though I'm sure he will come up, as he often does. I am talking to a writer, a podcaster, and a rule breaker. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Heather, welcome to Set Lusting Bruce. Thank you so much. I'm fa fascinated and excited to be here. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. As you said, I am an author. I'm a speaker. I'm a rule breaker. And in that way, I really, my work revolves around encouraging women to look at the rules that have been handed to us, some of which have to do with gender, some of which don't at all, but those rules that cause us to feel like we have to prove our worth through likability and success and achievement and being good and how to break those rules so that we can take up more space, use our voices to create change and, and have some more freedom and joy in our lives as well. So that's really what I do from a professional standpoint. I speak in front of audiences at different companies on imposter syndrome and using your authentic voice to lead change. I have one book out that came out three years ago called An Overachiever's Guide to Breaking the Rules, which that's my personal story was being that consummate overdoer, overachiever my entire life valedictorian in my high school class, all of the things until I finally stopped and asked myself, why am I doing all this? And the answer to that question was the, was what came out in the book. And I have a second book coming out this fall called grounded wildness, which is the feeling that I got after really looking at 
all of these rules and that freedom that comes on the other side of breaking the rules that have broken you. So for professionally, that's a bit of who I am, but I'm thrilled to be here to talk about music as well. Cause I love music. I play the guitar mostly in my living room by myself singing at the top of my lungs as loudly as I can. And yeah, and I love it. It speaks to music hits a different part of me and speaks to my soul and, and helps me to get into my own grounded wildness and freedom. So I'm excited to be here to chat about all of that. I, I, this is, we're going to go into all of it. I appreciate it, but I did want to, we'll stay on brand just for a moment and then we'll get to music. One, I, a couple of years ago, I guess longer than that now, someone, I wrote an article about saying, quit saying you're sorry. And I, that really struck to me because I was raised in the South mm-hmm. and it is this whole, by the way, had a very fun discussion on Twitter about if you there was a picture and they said what's wrong with this picture and I said oh the guy is the guy is the one closer to the building he should be at the street and that's and they're like you don't need to protect women anymore I'm like I'm sorry I was raised that way I was raised that's the correct way to walk yes. the street <laughs> uh so but the idea that if something goes wrong the first response and I think that's especially true with women is, mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Not even when nothing has gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. Just if someone seems unhappy, it's, oh, I'm sorry. And versus how, and they're like immediately want them to fix it versus it's not my responsibility to fix this. The, the, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm willing to do my part, but why all of a sudden is it looking and one of my favorite, I worked for a company where we were very liberal in our fraternization rules. So at one point we had a, a mom and three of her children working for us at different shifts. And their last name was Tarashita. And we had a sign on our break room. Unless your last name is Tarashita, your mom doesn't work here. Clean up after yourself. That's cute. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm sure we could spend a whole hour just talking about that. But why do you think, why do you think that happens so often? What is Mm. that? Why do you think that is a symptom of I've got to fix this? Yeah, such a good question. First, I have to comment on your moving women to the inside of the street. (laughs) I was on a date about a year ago. I had never experienced this before. I'm from Minnesota. I live in Colorado. And the man was actually from another country, so not even American. And he literally moved my body, not forcefully, not in any harmful way. But I was like, what are you doing? What is going on? (laughs) And I actually asked him, I'm like, what did you do? He's like, oh, no, women should be on the inside. I was like, okay. (laughs) I had never experienced that before. So it was an interesting experience. And I I had a strong reaction to it. I didn't really appreciate being moved uh, like that and not being given a choice, which was an interesting thing as well. On the I'm sorry side, I think part of it is, or the feeling like you have to fix things. I feel like they're almost, they're intertwining kind of a Venn diagram between those two. On the I'm sorry side, part of it's just habit. Part of it is when you listen to other people around you, particularly people who are like you, like the same gender, we tend to mimic other people or just pay attention. If our moms apologize for everything, we're more likely to apologize for everything. So I think that's part of it. But then also there is this part of it of women in general and really people from underrepresented groups on the whole have to 
not just be intelligent or warm in order to be trustworthy. You have to be both. So you like have to be competent and intelligent and show your, what you know, but at the same time, you have to be warm and sometimes apologetic and empathetic and all of these things at the same time in order to be trusted, in order to be credible, in order to be listened to. And it's sometimes it gets out of hand because I feel like we hear that I'm sorry all the time (laughs) and it can get annoying, but I think There is a part of that of in order to be credible, you have to be both. And I hope that is changing. I hope it's evolving, but historically it has been true. And then when you talk about this, like need to fix everything without a doubt, and everyone gets a little bit of different set of rules for sure. So I'm not speaking on behalf of every single woman on the planet here, but generally speaking, women, like the definition of a good woman, a good mom, a good girl is to take care of other people, to fix other things, to keep everyone happy, to be responsible for everything. And that is part of that definition. And so even if you don't consciously think that, when you start thinking about those rules, like those rules, like I have to be responsible for everything. I have to keep everyone happy. I'm not allowed to disappoint everyone. All of those rules that were handed tend to be handed down as this is how you're supposed to show up and be a good woman. And it takes some consciousness to learn to learn what those rules are that were handed to you. And certainly men and transgender and non-binary individuals are all handed rules too. This one just happens to be one that tends to be handed down more strongly to women. Yeah, I'm in the customer service business. I have been since 1989. And it is sad to say that if you have an upset client, they are more prone to if a male voice tells them they can't do something for the problem, they are more prone to accept it than they are if they hear a female voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite story of that, and then we're going to get to music, I promise, but there was a, a colleague of mine was working in a call center that did auto parts. They Mm -hmm. did online auto parts. And one of the female representatives was just a gearhead. She was raised in the garage. She, her, her big brothers, her dad, everyone. So she literally had oil, machine oil as her blood. And there was a, a client just being unreasonable, just, no, I want to talk to someone else. I want to talk to someone else. I want to talk to a man. Yep. And she puts them on hold and she's just livid. And so my boss, uh, not my boss at the time, but my friend said, okay, give them to me. And I apologize if I offend anyone, but he said, hello, this is Fred. How can I help you? With the most (laughs) effeminate voice he could do. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that customer got very uncomfortable. And Interesting. Yes. And, and because the, the caller was just wrong. Right. They were wanting something they couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And it is silly sometimes that we, and the thing that frustrates me the most is when I deal with people that don't acknowledge our built-in biases. Yes. I'm a 64-year-old white guy. I know I have built-in biases. I realize my experience is totally different than people who are younger than me, people that were not raised in the South, people that were raised in a different environment, people with different colors, races, genders. It is different. And to not acknowledge that just seems like you're just a little bit silly. 
Yeah. And I have built-in biases too. And my experience as a white woman is different than the experience of a woman of color. Not all women of color have the same experiences either. So totally. And I think it's such a good example. And I, I work a lot with women inside companies and particularly predominantly male companies. And I hear really similar examples all the time. And sometimes they're not quite as blatant as what you're talking about. Like sometimes they are, sometimes they're like, no, I want to talk to the manager and the person, the woman is, I am the manager. Like that is me. And they aren't even believed that's on one side of the spectrum. But then other times it's more subtle, like just a surprised look when that individual finds out that this person is the manager and then they listen, but they've still, they were surprised. And the person, the woman on the receiving end of that has to deal with that over and over again. And that's some of the things that can cause like doubt and imposter syndrome as well as when you're getting, when you're getting that response, of course, not from everyone, but on a regular enough basis that Mm -hmm. it impacts you. Cause how could it not, how could it not impact you? Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stephanie Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah. So, Heather, you talked about growing up. Where did you grow up? And what kind of music, I always like to start at the beginning, did your family listen to as you were growing up? I grew up in Minnesota and we listened to primarily 
like oldies, so folk, old folk music and musicals. <laughs> these are okay. the two. These are the two that I grew up in, and to the point where like I can't even imagine, can't even count the number of times I've watched the Peter Paul and Mary PBS special that was probably from like 1982, 1983. We had it recorded on VHS, watched it over and over again. Peter Paul and Mary was actually my first concert. And those of you who are listening who can't see me, I was born in the 80s, not in the 50s. <laughs> these were, but those are my first concerts. Beach Boys was my second concert. And in car rides, we listened to the Kingston Trio and Simon and Garfunkel and, and those types of, of music. And then musicals were also huge in my family. Like all my entire family loves musicals. And I went, I started going to musicals. My grandma started taking me to musicals at a, at a young age. Like we went and saw My Fair Lady at a good theater when I was probably eight or nine years old. And I still love musicals and, and folk music and oldies. And yeah, so those are, that's really the music that I grew up on was those two particular genres. So when you're, you're when you become a teenager, did you embrace new music and find your own voice and by expanding or did you reject your parents music for a while and needed to find whatever you were drawn to as a teenager I don't think I ever rejected it I think it expanded for sure I still love folk music I liked folk music when I was in high school the elementary school I went to an alternative elementary school and we sang Joni Mitchell and the Beatles out loud together as a class singing both sides now in the circle game together outside as a class and but I think in high school it certainly expanded I liked the probably what would be considered alt pop of the, the 90s. So like Counting Crows were my favorite Green Day. Cheryl Crows may be a little poppier, but I love Cheryl Crow. Later on, Sarah McLachlan, those types of folks who weren't, were somewhat fairly mainstream, but not the hardcore pop. And so a lot of them had a little bit of that folksiness to them. The Definitely the singer songwriter, Green Day maybe didn't, but Counting Crows certainly had, had some sound that was, a little folksy and a little country, I guess you could say a little bit too. And yeah, they were my first like official teenage concert was the Counting Crows and Wallflowers and in the mid 1990s. And yeah, so it, it, and I also still loved musicals. I remember my mom for my 15th birthday took me to see Les Miserables and I played that CD on repeat over. I knew every single word to Les Mis. And then when Rent came out a few years later, I think I still know every single word to the entire soundtrack for Rent. And yeah, folk music was still there. Musicals were still there, still are there for both of them. And it expanded and it expanded into some things that only I was listening to in my family. I'll ask the obvious question. What did you think of Hamilton? I haven't seen it, I should say, and I can't believe I haven't actually seen it, although I did watch it on Disney+. Plus. So I think I yeah. can offer an educated, I love it. It's so creative and fascinating and catchy, and I love the characters, and that one definitely was played on repeat on Spotify for me for many months, and <laughs> to the point where I think of the Skylar Sisters song, I could do all three of the parts at the same time, you know, singing along in my kitchen while I was cooking dinner. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, so I've not seen it live either. I had tickets to see come far away the oh the, yeah that's supposed yeah. to be good too yeah mm -hmm. it was yeah i got to see it on on i think it was on disney plus but anyway apple tv maybe but yeah i watched it and i was about 20 minutes into hamilton and i stopped it and i asked my wife i said i i think you'll like this i said we'll need to turn captions on because it's quick 
There's a lot of words. I, yeah, I said, <laughs> but I think, and we did. We watched it, and we both went, this is really good. There's a reason why everyone keeps talking about how good this yes. is. It, it really is very creative and actually very easy to follow. Really easy you know, to what, follow. Once you go, it's yeah. wow. Yeah. And some of the things that are fascinating about that, I, I watched some sort of like behind the scenes documentary yeah. on Hamilton and I may not get this exactly right, but just the, yeah. the different genres that of music that were, were played during it. So like when Thomas Jefferson comes back and it's like more kind of jazzy, bluesy and not the hip hop. And they're, they're saying like, it's almost like you missed the late eighties because that's when hip hop came out was the 1980s, but they're talking about the 1780s. And I just, I never would have picked up on anything like that. And I think it just, yeah, shows the creativity of Lynn Manuel Miranda and, and just yeah. how much he knows too, and that he can plug and play different genres and words and all of that and to create this amazing, intriguing story too. So yeah. the, the combination of all that's just unbelievable. It absolutely, and boy, when you see where the original cast has gone and done so many other things, see, keep brow. So when we first started talking, you mentioned that a lot of influences, but two came to mind first is Joni Mitchell and Brandy Carlisle. So I'll ask Joni first, can you remember when you first heard her and what about her music spoke to you so much? So I don't remember the exact second, but it definitely would have been in elementary school. So I okay. was, like I said, I went to an alternative elementary school where uh, we did go to regular music class some of the time, but in my homeroom classroom in fifth and sixth grade, I think my teacher was just a giant hippie. He was a very good teacher and also a big hippie. And we listened to and sang along with both sides now and the circle game and big yellow taxi. And I think those were the three. And then I went home. I remember going home and asking my mom if she had that music. And we did, they did. They had the, her record that I could play on the record player in the basement with those songs on them. And, and I did. And I think even as a kid, as a 10 or 11 year old, particularly those three songs, some of her songs are much more emotionally in depth that I probably wouldn't have necessarily understood at that age. But you, you think of Big Yellow Taxi, I was an environmentalist and we did that at my school as well. And so that's really about the environmental movement and paying attention to the earth. And then the circle game is about growing up and who, what 11 or 12 year old doesn't, isn't understanding that things are changing for them. And the, both the hope of that and the melancholy of growing up. And even at a young age, I sang that over and over again. And then both sides now really is it's, it goes through clouds and love and life and, and talks about the upside and both downside to both of them. And to look at life of both sides now from up and down and still somehow it's life's illusions. I recall, I think even at 11 and 12 years old, that, that spoke to me on a really deep level. And for a long time, those were really probably her only three songs that I really listened to. And it was, I'm thinking when I got into college that I started to listen to her other music. And I remember when I was a sophomore in college, I lived in a triple. There are three of us and we had some overlapping musical tastes. We all loved Rent. I think we all went to see Rent together, but not a lot. And we had a rule that one one person loved in sync and she couldn't play in sync when my roommate Aaron was in the room. Aaron was not allowed to play Ani DeFranco when either Bethany or I were in the room and I was not allowed to play Joni Mitchell when they were in the room. So we had this funny kind of came up and so I know that I played her a lot at that age because I have I was banned from playing it in front of my roommates. So we had an agreement and it was all good. But yeah, then I think as an adult it spoke to me on that deeper 
that deeper level as well. But even at a young age, yeah, it really captured me. And her voice is just so cool. I think I love that she can go from like chest voice way up into her head voice and feel really ethereal and magical and then hit you with both words and punch and her voice at the same time and just flip from one to the other just in this amazing way. So yeah, I love it. Oh, I can't hear you right now. That's because I hit mute to being a good guest. What, <laughs> what did you go to school for? My undergraduate degree is in conservation biology uh, okay. from University of Wisconsin-Madison. However, I really had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I did teach environmental education for a few years, and I led outdoor trips with teenagers in Colorado and Utah and California. But then about four or five years after undergrad, I went back and I have a master's of education in human resource development, which is more similar to what I do now. But yeah, that was my undergrad, including a semester studying tropical ecology in Costa Rica, where we sang all of these songs all the time as a group in the middle of the rainforest. So I, I love that because every once in a while I get pushback from someone that, oh, I'd be a good guest. I would be a good guest, Jesse, because I don't know Bruce's music or I really don't have anyone I'm passionate about on music. But I think when you peel back the onion, most people, music is very important to them. Yes. Even if they don't have this passion about Janet Jackson or Prince or NSYNC, there is music is a true time machine because you hear a song, it brings you back to a place and a mm -hmm. feeling. Did I did want to talk a little bit. You got into the corporate world and it. I'm going to put my words, not yours, but it slowly sapped some of the the music in your soul, right? <laughs> That's probably, yes, I would say that is accurate. And then the interesting thing is I actually had really good, overarchingly really good experiences in my corporate jobs. I had great managers. I worked with good people. And what's also true is that my 10 years in corporate did very slowly take me away from myself and my authenticity. And it was those smaller comments of me being too direct and needing to rein myself in and my energy in and trying to figure out how I could be authentic and fit in at the same time and kind of be who I was supposed to be and speak this corporate language and serve everyone. And, and I really couldn't, I think was the answer to that, or at least I didn't know how I didn't know how to do that. And so, yeah, I never felt like I was completely gone by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I always would have called myself authentic. And I think everyone around me, in fact, people would actually tell me, wow, you're so authentic. And even when they said that, I knew that I was holding back. I knew that I was like the 70%, 80% I was showing was authentic. And there was a 20% that was not, I was not putting out there. I was not, it was not showing up. It was, yeah, the trying to take all the feedback in, trying to be all things to all people, trying to be perfect, trying to be the overachiever um, and fit into a culture that, to be honest, probably just didn't fit my personality. Like I, I'm happy with my corporate career and also happy when it ended. <laughs> uh, and now running a business is a much better fit for my personality as well. Heather, was there a road to Damascus moment where you went, this isn't me? Well, it's interesting. Looking back, I think I always knew it okay. because I would, I was doing well in my jobs. I was getting promoted. I was changing. I was going to different roles. I worked just for two different companies. So I had a lot of movement within those companies. And I, I 
But at the same time, if you'd ask me, what are your career goals? Where do you want to be five or 10 years from now? And I've already said I am the over, I was the overachiever, the overdoer. And I couldn't have answered that question. Like I didn't see myself 20 years into the future and, or wanting to be like the head of HR at a company. And I think the reason I didn't see myself in those roles was because I didn't actually want those roles. I was maybe supposed to want those roles, but I, I didn't actually want those roles. And then in my end of my corporate career, two things happened that were both <laughs> road to Damascus <laughs> moments. One was a very woo situation. I was in, I was talking with my manager who I had a great relationship with. We're still in touch, really great relationship. And she was asking me you know, what I wanted to do and where I saw myself. And I had just recently been promoted to a senior manager. So director was the next level. And I was telling her like, I want to be a director. I want to be a leader. I want to lead a team. I want to be involved in strategy. And this voice came to me in the moment and said, you are lying right now. Like it was that clear. I don't know where this voice came from. It sounded like an actual voice to me. It's the only time in my life that has ever happened. So that was a very much a like, okay, I don't know exactly what that means or what I'm supposed to do with it, but goodness gracious, I need to pay attention to that. I can't forget this moment. And then a few months later, my job changed to something that I knew I wasn't going to like, and it was out of my hands. I didn't ask for something different once it was changed, but the change itself was out of my hands. And I knew something was going to have to shift quickly. But at that time, I didn't know that I wanted to run a business. Instead, I took a step back and said, okay, this is an opportunity for me to say, do I want to take a different corporate job? Do I want to try and renegotiate this role that I'm going to hate? Or do I want to try something different? Do I really want to think? And once I started exploring, once I started really listening to myself and slowing down and doing some reflection, then it went from being pushed by this like change that was outside of my hands to really being pulled forward by something that felt exciting. And I still didn't really know what my business was going to be all about. It really took leaving my corporate job and doing a whole lot of experimenting to figure out like what worked and what didn't and what was I passionate about and how did that overlap with what people would pay for and all of those things that I think most business owners have to figure out. But yeah, those were two two moments that really set a trajectory. And I think together they really meant, they meant a lot to me, really precipitated that reflection that I did to get back in touch with who I was. And honestly, that's been an ongoing process. I feel like it started, you talked about like the music being the soul, music soul being sucked out of me. It has been a journey over the last five or six years, maybe even seven years at this point to really get back in touch with that that soul, that musical soul, that that authenticity, that what I call grounded wildness, the title of my my next book, to really get back in touch with that and know who I am. And it's not just because of corporate, it's because of growing up and all the rules of culture and all the different things and really taking that step back and saying, who am I separate from these rules and where am I whole, where maybe I thought I was broken or damaged. I'm really not either of those things. The I have an adult son And at times you get your child has a different perspective of you. And he will say to me, he'll always ask. And we have the kind of relationship where I want him to be honest with me. And he'll say, sometimes dad, you're too nice. Mm. I think you just, you can't be afraid of being a jerk. And I think sometimes in business, you need to be a little more of a-hole. He says, now you being, there's no way you're going to do it not being politely. I I think sometimes you're too quick to take the high road 
and to move things on. And and that was an interesting discussion for me because I am someone who one of the things that I take great pride in is that people like working with me and they like working for me. And at times though, he'll say, you may be just a little too nice, dad. And so I, I think having that self-reflection is a good thing to do. I, I want to get to a crowded table in a moment, but is there is there a soundtrack to, since we'll stick with music, during this journey of finding yourself and finding where you want to go? Oh my gosh, there are several songs. I would say like the immediate one that comes to mind is the duet that Alicia Keys and Brandy Carlisle did called A Beautiful Noise. And it's about using your voice and finding your voice. Yeah. And I, I love that song. I, I play it often and sing to it before I do my keynote on Discover Your Authentic Voice because I feel like it's both finding your own voice, but then being in choir, literal figurative with other voices as well yeah. and how that makes a difference. So that one immediately comes to mind. Interestingly, and this the topic of this song has nothing to do with this journey at all, but I recently started playing Jolene on my guitar and I take it down about six frets because my voice is way lower than Dolly Parton's, but there's something so powerful in both the words, even though they're, they're desperate words, they're powerful and just the notes themselves. So I think it's finding those songs that really hit in my soul. Sometimes it's the words and sometimes it's just the notes and learning to let it go. Uh, Cause I used to hold back. I used to hold back a lot when I was singing in particular, because I was so afraid that I would make a mistake. And so even when I was singing in my living room, no one could hear me. I was such in the habit of reining my voice in that there is now that I've let that go for the most part, it is freedom inducing to just open my mouth and sing and really sing from my gut and my head and my chest and let it all go. So any of those songs, any of those songs really do that for me that just allow me to feel free. Isn't that, I have the same issue sometimes of worry like I will spend time let's say you're daydreaming before you go to bed and all of a sudden I'm going through all the things that has to be done correct versus just relaxing into the possible yes. drink instead of worrying about just enjoying you're losing yourself in the music losing yourself in that but I the joy of doing it poorly yes doing it with energy yes. it's okay sometimes to do things poorly Absolutely. Yes. And I think we don't get that message very often in our culture. There's a lot of messages that are like, if you're going to do it, you have to be good at it. Or even more so now, I didn't get this growing up, but now there's a lot of, if you're going to do it, you need to monetize it. And it's no, you can take an art class and be terrible and still enjoy the art class. You can enjoy the act of putting paint onto canvas. You can enjoy the act of learning how to play the guitar or sing or train for a 10K. Like I just recently heard a story about a guy who started, he has t-shirts that say slow AF on them because that's what someone yelled out to him when he was running a marathon. And he was like, yeah, and I'm going to own that. Like I am slow and I'm still going to enjoy it. And I'm getting a lot out of this. And yeah, we don't get, our culture tends to be very achievement driven. And, and it's no, sometimes we just get to do things for joy and not for speed or accomplishment or money or making it good. It just gets to be the experience of doing it. And that's, and that's enough. 
way back, Harry Chapin wrote a song called Mr. Tanner. I don't know if you've ever heard it. I don't think so. So I'll send you a link. But basically the premise is he was a dry cleaner. And this is based on a true story. And he sang when he cleaned clothes and everyone talked about what a great voice he is. And then so he decides to try and I won't spoil it for it, but it doesn't go well. And in, in and then the thing he never sang out loud again. And I was really, I, I was just starting my, I, I was dating my wife in 1980 and she, we talked about, and once we had a kid, we talked about what was really important. And one of the things she regretted is if she couldn't do it well, she didn't do it. Yeah. Nope. I'm not, if I'm not sure I'm going to make drill team, Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to try out. Yes. It's really common. And, and it is, that's sad, but I think it's true to a lot of Mm -hmm. people that they do that. And, and I get asked fairly often about podcasting, what's your advice? And I go, first thing is make sure you have a topic you enjoy talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Make sure it's something that if no one else ever listens to it, you're still going to have fun doing it. Yes. And I, I'd hit over a thousand episodes of this podcast, been doing it since 2015. And just this year, Pantheon, my network reached out and said, Hey, we don't have a Springsteen podcast. Would you want to join us? I love that. Eight years in. Yeah. And she's, and I'm like, yeah. But I'm like, so what do I have to pay you? I don't know. We're going to sell ads and you're going to get a percentage. Really? And, and it's not a lot of money, but as my son said, if they pay you $25 a month to do what you've been doing for free, because you love, (laughs) you're winning dad. It is. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love what you said around like you picking something you love and just doing it because you love it. You love talking to people about music. You love Bruce Springsteen. And I have a podcast as well. It's in the middle of a name change. So today it's called create your own rules for life. But in a few weeks, it'll be called grounded wildness. And it was the same thing. Like I'm definitely not making any money off this podcast. I can tell you that much. And when I started, of course, I was hoping to connect with a few people, but mostly I wanted to get more practice in sharing my voice in a more raw way, a less practiced way, a less rehearsed way, and to explore some different topics and that I don't explore in my keynotes. And so I've only even done solo episodes. I think probably at some point I'll have some interviews on there, but I've been doing it for a year and haven't at all. And it's rewarding in and of itself to do it both personally, because I'm getting that out of it. I am using my voice. I'm getting more practice and using my voice in a less rehearsed, more authentic, more raw way. And I love it when I do hear from people who've listened and they're like, I really like that episode, or this is what I took away from that. And I love it. It's yes. And I think I was given that advice with writing a book even as well, that I think we all have a little bit of, we have to have a little bit of delusions of grandeur in writing a book because it's such a huge undertaking. And I was given the very specific advice that like, you don't know how many people or if anyone's really going to read this book. So you have to first do it for yourself. Like it needs to be rewarding in and of itself. And then if, and when people read it, that just gives me like the cherry on top of the Sunday, but the Sunday's already delicious on its own. And yeah, it was such good advice because it really took a lot of the pressure off and made me enjoy the process of it as well. So that when I do get good feedback or when the book sells, it's like, Oh, that's just fun and enjoyable and, but not required for personal validation and worth. 
So when I first started doing podcasting, my lovely bride, and like I said, we've been married since 84, said, and she hates when I do this, but I, my son loves the Sid. Her question was, who the hell is going to want to hear you? <laughs> but a lot of people, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And because her thought, a podcast is some kind of expert mm. or a celebrity talking about a topic, right? And she couldn't understand it for a long time. And finally, her brother was talking about, and he grew up, typical 60s kid, high school band. He played drums all the way till he finally got married. But they they did that whole kind of 60s garage band playing, right? And he said, he was. we were at some kind of family event, and he said if he had his way, once a week, he and his buddies would go in a barn somewhere and would just play for two or three hours for no one, just for the joy of playing. Yes. And I said, Linda, that's podcasting to me. Yeah. That I just, now, do I want people to listen? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when someone sends an email or says, gosh, I really loved your discussion with Heather. Or if at the end of this, after we hit, rec- we close, you go, Jesse, that was so much fun. Thank you so much. Then I'm happy. But the reality is I like to talk to people and I like to hear their story. Yes. And that's the reward in itself. Yes. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's c- completely true. Absolutely. And so if you want a guest, I'd love to be on your podcast. I'm just okay, be, I'll let I'm you know. Forward. All right. <laughs> talk about, all right. So you went from Joni Mitchell. Talk about when did you discover Brandy and what about her music spoke to you? Oh man. So I, I think I discovered her. I know I discovered her when she had the story, which was her first big hit. So that was probably 2007. And I really didn't know her music very well. I loved that song. And she was playing for free at the Minnesota state fair. And a couple of friends were like, Hey, do you want to go see her? And I was like, yeah, I love the story. I'm sure she'll be great. And so we went and I just had no idea. I had no idea. And the only other song that I remember specifically her playing that night, because I didn't know any of her music at all, except for the story. So she played the story, obviously. And then she also played Hallelujah, which at night at the fair with the lights. And this was a small venue. We were all it was outside. We were all standing up. No one was sitting down. And it really, in that moment, turned me into a Brandy Carlisle convert. <laughs> and I started listening to her music slowly, I would say, over time and learning it. And it's really been probably in the last five or six years that she is without a one, without a doubt, she and Joni Mitchell are my number. I couldn't pick which one's number one and which one's number two. And, and I love that they work together and they've supported each other. And she's worked with Joni Mitchell to get her back on stage, which I think is so amazing after the health concerns that she had several years ago and just so many cool things. And I think one, one of the things I really appreciate about Brandy Carlisle is a couple of things. One, like her music is different. It evolves. Some of it's very Americana. Sometimes it's a little alternative. It has a lot of different sounds to it. Her voice is just out of this world, I think. So I don't know. I can't think of anyone else who sounds like her, who has the power and her topics vary a lot too. So I love that. Like some of her songs are just fun and silly and, or about childhood and growing up. And then other ones are really serious or they have commentary. Like the joke is really social commentary. And, and I love that. And again, I think she's also someone who her voice has so much power and so much vulnerability and depth all at the same time. And so those words, and and sometimes 
sometimes there's a line that just hits me with hers. Like the one recently, and I, I can't remember which song it is from, but there is a line in one of her songs that says, he taught me how to walk the best that I could on a road I've left behind. And I've just thought, gosh, how many of us have gone through that? And how have I gone through that? That the people around me who loved me, who love me currently taught me the best they could on how to walk on a road that I'm no longer on, like I'm on a totally different road. And that just, it spoke to me so deeply. And yeah, so those songs and you and me on a rock right now is something I play on my guitar all the time. And I love it. It's variety, it's power, it's strength, it's vulnerability, all wrapped up into one. And I think that's what I try to be myself as well. I hadn't really thought about that before I'm saying the words quite literally out loud right now, but in a completely different way, try myself to embody my own type of power and vulnerability and strength, all three of those at the same time. Because when she gets on stage, she knows she's good and she also isn't arrogant about it. So she knows it. She owns it. She stands up there in power and strength and is also vulnerable at the same time. And I think that's a magical combination in any human. Yeah, I think so too. I have a real good friend we met early in her career named Sarah Hickman, was recommend compared to Joni Mitchell, except she said Sarah's song would be, yeah, you hate me, broke my heart, but that's okay. I'm going to be all right. But she has a song, A Woman Waiting to Happen, and Ooh, she says that, uh, yeah, and it says, it's no secret that I love you, but this is like a love I've never known. My mistakes brought me to this place where the flowers replace the thorns. I like that. Yeah. yeah Great title I, too. Woman yeah. waiting to happen. Great And title. I love that my mistakes brought me to this place. Mm. Too many of us in we beat ourselves up so much mm-hmm. for our missteps and what we did wrong. Once again, we got to do it right or else Mm -hmm. why throw it at all versus just it. One of my favorite Springsteen songs is a song called Better Days. And it says, I sitting around waiting for my life to begin while it's all just slipping away. Yeah. Because every day is your life. Yeah. There's there's so many things that we can wait for. And yet perfection is never going to happen because life isn't perfect and humans aren't perfect. And Yeah. So we get to either beat ourselves up along the way for that or accept it. And I know it's a lot easier said than done. And there's a bunch of reasons for all of it. I don't want to make light of it. And and yeah. Yeah. Heather, I imagine, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it would be a fair bet that you probably, your editor had to tell you, it's good. It's going to get Heather. We got (laughs) to move on. So weirdly, I would say I'm, I have been a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to a little bit of the formatting of the book. Okay. I'm like, wait, can we move that and down to the next okay. line in the okay. title? Okay. But with writing itself, for reasons I do not understand. Really? I have not been a perfectionist with writing. For a Good. lot of people, that's where it shows up. I still have to deal with some perfectionism in other parts of my life. Yeah. And writing, for whatever reason, it comes out of my soul. And then I edit it. And I am like a compassionately ruthless editor with myself where I'm just like, Ooh, that part's really good. Nope. That needs some work. Nope. That doesn't even need to be in the book at all. And we can just get it on out. And I'm really weirdly efficient about it in a way that is connected, but not in a way where I feel badly about it or yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. Awesome. I'm so so happy (laughs) to hear that. 
<laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, um, I don't know how why it doesn't show why the perfectionism mm-hmm. just never showed up there for some reason. Yeah, uh, I promised you that we would try not to go over an hour, and we're getting <laughs> a little over is okay. <laughs> yeah, so talk to me about crowded table. Yes, you, you said that this was. And it's from Brandy Carlisle was part of Highway the High Women, yes. which is a super group, including uh, Amanda Shires, who is the wife of my latest obsession, Jason Isbell. So talk to me about that song. Tell me why and what about it meant so much to you. Yeah. So I was listening to Brandy Carlisle on Spotify in probably like maybe fall 20, 2019. And I was just listening to had it on in the background and just, it was on variety. It was on like shuffle on Spotify and all of a sudden crowded table came on and I'd never heard it before. And I was like, wait, what is this? And I stopped and listened to the words and then proceeded to play it over and over again. And when I heard the words of that song, I thought, this is the world that I want to live in. This is the world that I want to help to create. Like I want a house with a crowded table and a place that placed by the fire for everyone. And I'm, I'm in a very literal way and in a figurative way. And yeah, I just, it, it spoke to me and, and in a way that wasn't just to me, but in a way that I was immediately like, this song needs to be shared. And up until that point in my life, I've always loved to sing. I've played playing the guitar for over 20 years. And yes, I've led some campfire songs and I've sung with kids and things like that. But I really had, had very rarely, if at all, sang on my own, like up in front of even 10 people with my guitar, really trying to sound decent <laughs> because I was so nervous that I would make a mistake that inevitably those times that I did sing in front of people, I was so nervous. I would make a mistake. Like my voice would crack because of the nerves and tightening my throat and trying to hold it all in and not make the mistake. And with crowded table, I was like, I need to share this song. And I was part of a spiritual community at that time. And I reached out and said, can I sing this in front of the group? Because I think it's going to really resonate with people. And I feel like it's a song that needs to be heard. And that was the first time I'd ever gotten up in front of a group like that. And I remember I had propped up my right leg against the chair and it was shaking so badly. I had to like put it in the middle of the song, had to cross and uncross my leg so that my leg would stop like bumping my guitar up and down. It was shaking so much. And I played that song in front of the group in probably January of 2020. And then we all know what happened in March of 2020 COVID hit. And I thought a few weeks into COVID, I was like, we need to sing. I need to sing this song again. And I recorded a video of myself playing in my apartment and put it on Facebook just to the people I was connected with. But it really meant, it meant still means a lot to me in that, yeah, this is the world that I want to live in and the world that I want to be a part of creating. Like I want to, I want a house with a crowded table and that's what I, where everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter if you are broken, like the door is always open to you. And that just hit me in a really deeply personal way that I still, I I would consider Crowded Table my favorite song right now. It has been for since I first heard it simply because it it mirrors the person that I want to be in the world that I want to create. I always like to preface this with the amount of times you've seen an artist perform is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. So have you been able to see her perform? No, I've the only time, well, only that one time at the Minnesota State Fair in 2007 yeah. or 2008. I live in Colorado now and I did try and get tickets to Red Rocks last year. I was supposed to be out of town this year, so I didn't even try, but last year. And 
a friend and I got in different waiting rooms on wherever Ticketmaster, like an hour or two ahead of time. And it wasn't even a close contest to us getting tickets. So um, I hope I can see her, even if it means traveling that I would have like, if I look back on concerts within my lifetime that I would have loved to have been at a recent lifetime when she did Joni Mitchell's blue, when she covered blue with Joni Mitchell and Elton John in the front row of the concert sitting next to each other. I just, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in that audience to hear her sing every word of Joni Mitchell's blue with Joni Mitchell there listening on. And I mean, that's one of, that's probably my favorite album of all time is is blue. Yeah. I would love to see her again. And I'm sure it'll happen at some point. I don't think she's going anywhere from a performing standpoint. No, I don't think so at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about the new book. Yeah. So it'll be coming out hopefully sometime in October. It went to the printer just on Friday. We're recording this on a Monday. So I haven't gotten the exact date that the printer will have it out, but it's called Grounded Wildness. It is available for presale on my website now, which is heatherwelpley.com and then backslash Grounded Wildness. It really is. It's a deep dive, like I said before, into all these rules that we are handed, particularly as women, although parts of it would apply to any gender, but it's definitely written to an audience of women that take us away from ourselves and and convince us that we need to prove our worth through external means. And some of that I've talked about a little bit today, success and achievement and perfectionism and my voice as well, that feedback that I got on being too direct and really causing me to overthink. But for me also, there was a lot of it related to body image and the messages that many women have gotten still get about you need to be thin and you need to be have a perfect body. And even as we get older, we'll then take care of the wrinkles and all of the things. And I used to be when I was growing up in a much larger body, I weighed a lot more at that time. And it really caused me to feel like and believe I was very ashamed of my body. And it made me feel like there was something wrong with me that I couldn't fix my body, that I couldn't eat less, that I couldn't change this part about me. And that stayed with me for a really long time. And when I really did this deep dive into where did that come from and all the emotions surrounding that and realizing on this very deep level, oh wait, like I was never broken. It was the rules and messages that were handed to me, not by any particular person, but by our culture as a whole. Those were the things that were broken, not me. And the freedom that came out on the other side of that is what I call grounded wildness. This thing that allows us to be so grounded in ourselves that we are free to either follow the rules or break the rules. It doesn't matter because you're so grounded into yourself and that freedom of being grounded and wild at the same time time. And the the book is part memoir, but part self-help, inspiration, motivation, whatever we want to call that. So it it guides people through their own journey of understanding the rules that they have been handed so that they can also find freedom on the other side of that and, and practices to go along with that. So I am nervous for it to come out and even more so excited because the change that realization has made in, in, in my life has been really amazing. And I'm hoping that It'll impact some other people in the same way. And like we were talking about before, I've already gotten so much just out of writing it that anything else that comes from it will just be a cherry on top of the Sunday. I'd love for you to come back once you have a publication date and let's spend an hour just talking about the book and promoting Thank you. a little I bit love more to. of your journey. I think that'd be great. All right. I feel like we just keep on talking, but we're gonna, <laughs> I'm going to save it for the next episode. So... Any final thoughts before we get to the Mary question? 
No, and I no, go for it because I'm <laughs> all right. All right. So if you are a fan of Heather's, either her podcast or her book, or have heard her as a speaker and you're checking out this episode, thank you so much. I end every podcast with the Mary question. Where this came from is Jay Armstrong was an honors English teacher who's now retired, but when he was teaching in the Philadelphia area, he would take his honors English people, students, and would give them the lyrics to Bruce Springsteen's song, Thunder Road. They would treat it as a poem, reading the lyrics, talking about the themes Bruce explores, talk about the imagery Bruce ex- paints. And then he would ask his class at the end of the class, does Mary get in the car? Heather, that was your homework. <laughs> Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Yeah, and I will say I did not know this song, so I listened to it at lunch and then I t- today and then I read along with the lyrics and while listening to the song. And what's interesting, and then I, I will also say, I was tempted to Google, does Mary get into the car at the end of Thunder Road? <laughs> and then I was like, no, Heather, just go with your gut instinct, go with your gut well, there, instinct. There is the right answer. Because, oh, okay. yeah, there is no right answer. Because okay, I don't specific, know what it is. <laughs> yeah, because the specific song is on, in the lyrics on the printed is a town full of losers, I'm pulling out of here to win. When mm-hmm. he does it live, town full of losers, we're pulling out of here to win. Oh. Often, period, is, and go ahead and give your answer, and then I'll give you a little more All right. information. My initial response, my initial gut thought was, I don't know if Mary got in the car because we don't know anything about Mary from listening to this song. And then I was like, oh, that gives me my answer. She doesn't get in the car because this song is actually not about her. It is a plea from him to escape or to get out. And it's not actually everything I heard in the song was not about her. It was about him. And in that way, I was like, I hope she doesn't get in the car because this isn't about her. This is about him. So that was my either. I, it was more of a hope. It was a more of a hope that she didn't get in the car. Cause I was, there was multiple times in the song, at least a couple where he clearly stated a need that she had that he was not fulfilling. And I thought, Oh, I hope she doesn't get in the car. So it was more of a hope than an answer, but yeah, that's what, that was the conclusion I came to. I think that is an absolutely great answer, Heather, about for the longest time, I was 60-40. 60% of my guests say, yes, she gets in the car. 40% say, no. It has reached the point about 50-50 for a lot of different reasons. Some people say that, yes, he presented enough case to her that they are going to go together. Others say, no, she didn't present the case. And I think you have a very valid, he's made it about him, not her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, therefore, what we want to do. Great answer. Thank you so much. Tell us again, if someone wants to reach you, find out more about your podcast, find the books, how do they do it? The best place is my website, which is heatherwelpley.com. My last name is spelled weirdly. So just look in the in the show notes um, for how to spell my last name. Although I think if you get anywhere close to it, you'll probably get me because I might be the only Heather Welpley in the world. So there you can find a link to my podcast. The Both the books are available on my website, as well as on Amazon. The audiobook, ebook, paperback are available on Amazon. On my website, they're signed hardcover copies. So that's the only place that those are available. And you can also get info about my speaking on 
my website as well. So I speak mostly to either conferences for women or leadership events, sometimes team events of all genders, and then company events too, either for women's networks or everyone in the company. If you want to connect on social media, LinkedIn is actually my best platform. I use Instagram a little bit, but I'm on LinkedIn frequently. So that is the best place to, to find me for social media. And yes, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to get a message or hear what you heard in this podcast or who your favorite musician is and how they speak to you. I I love music and I don't often get to talk about it in this way. So I would love to hear from you as well if you're listening today. Thank you so much, Heather. This was a joy for me. I knew we were going to have a fun conversation and you did not disappoint. You're wonderful. (laughs) Thank Um, you. You are welcome anytime. I do mean that when the book's ready to promote, I'd love to have you on and us talk about your journey some more. Let's share a little bit about the book. Listeners, go to the website, check it out. We're going to end with, I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. Let us take on the world while we're young and able and bring us back together when the day is done. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast. That is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.